got 10 more minutes. Well, praise the Lord. What a joy it is to be here with you all. Thanks for coming out early to hear about Uganda. I'm going to give you that one. This is my wife right here, Danielle. You have to stand up for everybody. This is my wife. And then I have my son. Where is Ethan? Evan. Okay, thank you. We announced that. Uh, there's Emmett and there's Elijah. Guys, stand up and wave. So there is, there is a portion of my family. Uh, we, my name is Shannon Hurley with Sufficiency of Scripture Ministries. And uh, we have a ministry in Uganda, Africa. And uh, we are coming this weekend just to promote the Bussells. Uh, Bussells, I said that right. And make sure that, uh, that you guys know what's going on. And why in the world would they want to go to Uganda? Why in the world would they want to serve in the middle of East Africa. So we want to make sure that you guys are well aware of what God is doing in that country and who they're working with. And uh, so I want to start with just sharing a little bit of my testimony and then roll that into our ministry and then give you a few moments to ask any questions that you might want to ask. Does that sound good? Good. Well, uh, my, I grew up in Southern California in Upland, Ontario area. Anybody know where that's at? Okay, cool. Well, uh, we basically, I, I grew up in, my parents came to, started going to church when I was two years old, and uh, they were formerly Catholics, and they started going to a Protestant church because somebody went door-to-door evangelizing, and they came to the end of our cul-de-sac, we were the last house in the cul-de-sac, and they said, let's do one more house, and it happened to be my house, so I always tell people, guys, just do one more, one more house, and, uh, and so that then brought my family to church each week. And I grew up going to Awana. I was a spark and a pioneer. And I think we did something else after that. I can't remember what that one was. But I wanted my crown. Any Awana lovers right here? Come on. Everyone godly has done Awanas. <laughs> and uh, so I, you know, I, th- those had formidable impact in my life. And uh, when I got to junior high is when the Lord began to show me that I was a sinner and show me to personalize my own sin. And it was at that point I said, Lord, will you please take this sin away from me and help me follow you with all of my heart? Uh, there was not at that time a, 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 uh, a real mentor in my life. There was someone who would tell me how to do quiet times and that had an impact in, in my life. And then we went from our Bible church to a feel-good Baptist church. Goal on Sunday was to feel good, but you, they didn't use truth to do it. And, uh, and that's when my mind began to wake up and say, okay, what is this Bible saying? And uh, when I gave my life to Christ, I realized, because I, I, before I wanted to live for the Lord, but didn't really find the ability to live for him like I wanted. And uh, I opened my Bible to Psalm 1 because I thought, okay, I need to get in God's Word. And everybody seems to go to the Psalms. I don't know why. And I opened my Bible to Psalm 1. And it said that if I wanted to be this tree planted by the streams of water, yield fruit in due season, and, uh, and whatever I do prosper, I need to delight myself in God's and meditate on it. Come on, are you guys awake? Come on, Bakersfield. <laughs> All right, we want to delight myself in God's law and meditate on it day and night. And so at that point, I said, well, I want to be that tree. 
And so I began to then devote myself to God's word each day as a 12-year-old kid by the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And, uh, and I began to just get in, my, in the word every day. And, uh, and from that, I began to grow. Uh, at this point, I had a youth pastor who loved people. He'd hug everybody in the church, and, uh, and he loved to evangelize. So those got deeply embedded into my heart <coughs> as I uh, you know, just continued to try and grow. But he got kicked out of our church because he was confronting sin in the church, and I was kind of left alone at that point to just grow on my own. And, uh, you know, but what I, what I began to do is as I was studying God's word, I'm like, well, wait a second here. What is a Christian? Because I had been told all my life that a Christian was someone who said a prayer, walked an aisle, and I was like, but wait a second here. I don't know that my parents have been transformed. I mean, what's going on there? I, I mean, my brothers, they've walked the aisle like 20 times now, and I'm not really seeing a big change there. And uh, then we had people in our church that were having affairs, and it was all public, and we all knew about it. And I'm thinking, what is a Christian? So I went to the back of my Bible, and I looked up the word Christian in the back of my Bible, and I realized that a, the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And I go, okay, well, that's simple. A Christian is then a disciple. A Christian is then a Come on, we're going to wake you guys up. You guys are still sleeping on it. Uh, a Christian is then a disciple. And, uh, and so I realized, so then I'm like, well, what is a disciple? So I went to the back of my Bible again, looked up the word disciples, and the Bible said that if you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my, if you love father or mother more than me, you cannot be my and I realized, oh my goodness, a Christian is then someone who surrenders their life to Jesus Christ. They give everything over for Christ. I thought to myself, well, wait a second here. Does anybody know this? And I went back and I began to tell my parents, look, I don't think you're Christians. I mean, you have not surrendered your life to Christ. And a Christian is someone who surrenders their life to Christ. And I began to talk to my pastor saying, hey, guys, listen. A Christian someone who surrenders their life to Christ. I mean, come on. And they began to say, Shannon, that's a works-based salvation. And I said, okay. And they said, we're saved by grace. And, and I said, well, then what is faith and belief? Aren't those something we do? And they said, well, you know, that's the prayer. That's what the prayer is. I'm like, well, wait a second. That's something I do. So something I do then saves me? Or is it by grace? How does this thing work? And I knew it was by grace. I knew we had to have a surrender life. I knew faith and belief were part of it, but I was confused on how all of that worked together. So I went through my high school years, and I wanted, I, you know, I had gone to a Christian school, went to a secular school, and I was like, I want to win my secular school for Christ. And so I had my Jesus shirt, my Bible, and I was happy. And, uh, and so it was just these zealous years of just trying to learn what it is to be a Christian, what it was to truly follow God's word. I remember even going upon 1 Corinthians 5 and, and it talking about us dealing with sin and because we don't want a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And I'm like, wait a second here to our, my church leaders. Shouldn't we be dealing with the sin in our church? And they said, Shannon, that's so unloving. And so I was so confused. Like, what is this Bible anyways if we don't even follow it? It wasn't until... Uh, you know, then I come upon graduation from high school, 
And, uh, and I look all around Southern California as to what college I want to go to. So I go to every college, Westmont and Loma and uh, Southern California Christian, which is now Vanguard and, and uh, you know, all of the, and, and Azusa Pacific. And, uh, and then I, my parents said, why don't you check out Masters? I'm like, I don't know anything about Masters. I've never even heard of it. I know nothing about John MacArthur. And, uh, and so what happens is I, I and I, I was just kind of like, okay, Lord, please just give me this feeling like this is where I need to be. Went to all these different schools, played soccer for them, and it was just like, ah, ah, Viola, ah, ah, ah. No, just kidding. Uh, but uh, <laughs> went to all these different schools and, and then come to Masters, and I'm like, I don't know what it is about this school, but I just feel like this is where I need to be. And, uh, and I go to, then to Masters to play soccer. I knew nothing again of John MacArthur. I went there to play soccer. It was right when he came out with his book, uh, Faith Works. So I start reading this book, Faith Works, and I realize, oh, wait a second. A Christian is someone who surrenders their life to Christ. They give all to Jesus. But it's not a work of man. It is a work of God. And I realize, oh, my goodness, there it is. And not only is a surrender life a work of God, but another fruit of, of, a, of God's transforming work is that we have faith and we believe, which are gifts from and I realized that's how it's by grace through faith. That's how it results in a surrendered life because when God has truly redeemed us, truly transformed us, all of a sudden everything changes. All of a sudden our lives are laid down for the king. And so that was like revolutionary. It was like heaven came down. I realized, oh my goodness. And I, I remember being overwhelmed. I was a biblical counseling major. And I, I remember being overwhelmed with my own sin. But then the realization that God loved me, the sinner, became overwhelming. And I realized, well, wait a second here. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Why me? I remember sitting in my dorm room at the Master's University and just weeping tears of, of joy that God would love me and die for me and, and sacrifice for me. And open my eyes to the truth. And uh, that became such an overwhelming time in my life, just where I began to study the Word of God. And even the school began to, ch they, they practiced church discipline. And I'm like, I knew that was in the Bible. I knew it, you know. And I was excited. I went back to those pastors. I tried to tell them what was up. That didn't go over too well. Uh, but uh, in, in the end of the day, it was just this time of total growth. And where someone began to teach the Bible, and I began to re be affirmed in all the things I knew growing up. And, uh, you know, a future for Israel, of course there's a future for the Israel. That's what the Bible says, right? You know, there are things like that where, like, duh. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> so, uh, so. In those years, it was an incredible time for me to grow. When I was a senior, I uh, was at chapel one, uh, one week, and there was this woman playing the piano, and the Shekinah glory came down on her, and I realized, okay, that's the girl that God has for me, and so that was my wife, Danielle. Uh, when I was a sophomore in, in college, I went on a mission trip to Kenya for a month, and then Uganda, and uh, and. That, the Lord used that trip to really penetrate into my heart the reality that there is a whole other world 
I had never desired to be a missionary. I never like read biographies. I, I tried, but I got so bored with them because <laughs> I couldn't read very well back then. And, and I watched a movie, a Hudson Taylor movie. I mean, that was cool, you know, but I, I wasn't into it all. But when I went on a mission trip, I realized, wait, there's a whole other world that's hungry for truth. My junior year, I went to Ibex, and everybody who goes to Masters has to go to Ibex. Like, you need to make sure that happens. And then uh, my senior year, I'm like, I got to get this truth out. I'm learning all this stuff. I got to tell people about the truth. So I started working in a youth group. And uh, I went to this youth group, and as kids got serious about Christ, the parents thought that they had joined a cult. And they started, like, having the kids leave the youth group. And I had another kid that went into the youth group with a wolf mask on. I'm like, uh, why do you have this wolf mask on? Can you please take it off? And she'd growl at me. I'm like, working in America is like a funny farm, you know. It's, it, it, I don't know what's going on. And uh, so that was my, my initial introduction to, full, to, to ministry. And I'm thinking to myself, what is going on? And uh, I knew that I had to go to seminary. So then I turned around and I went, uh, graduated from university. My wife, I had met her when she was a freshman. And wisdom says, guys, when you're a senior, she's a freshman, you know, they're, you're more, more likely to get a sale on the, uh, the girl you want because you're like the man, you're like older, you know, so you use that influence to persuade them. That's why I got someone so pretty. Uh, <clears throat> but uh, so, uh, you know, we ended up getting married that next year. I ended up going to seminary. I hated seminary. Like it was so academically strong. So I went one semester. I'm like, this is lame. I went to the master's seminary. I mean, everybody goes to the master's seminary. <laughs> Just kidding. But uh, so I went there, and then uh, I started one semester. I'm like, oh, this, I'm done with this. This is lame. You know, because everybody was encouraging my circles growing up. Don't go to seminary. It's cemetery and these types of things. And so that was already in the back of my mind. And you get there, and it's like they... You know, it's so academic. It's no longer college. Let's just put it that way. It's like we're about the word. You got to study this. And I took off a semester, got married, and uh, but during that semester, someone said, "Shannon, look, listen. If you're called to the ministry and you don't go to a seminary, do yourself a favor and never step into the pulpit." And that was such a good word to me because I knew that if the calling is that important, sitting down in a chair is necessary. And, uh, and so if I'm going to love people, I'm going to love people by actually doing the work of studying the text. And so I said, okay, I got to go to seminary. I'm going to go and I'm going to get this thing done. And, and so I uh, re-enrolled in the seminary and, and uh, went through seminary. Now, while I was in seminary, <clears throat> I needed a job to feed my wife. And so uh, I went to seminary and started working at a toy job. The toy job was called Beverly Hills Teddy Bear Company. I mean, that's cool, right? Uh, what we did is we did custom stuffed animals. And so I would take, you know, like any kind of stuff. I could take a, a picture of your pastor and turn him into a stuffed animal. And, uh, you know, put a sermon quote in him or something like that. And, you know, if you could get a thousand pieces, we can even do that this next year if you like. You know, but uh, that's the kind of thing that we did. So I would do custom stuffed animals like the Grinch that stole Christmas. I would do uh, all kinds of uh, different custom stuffed animals. I would work with promotional companies to do their mascots. And literally, it would go from, you know, just cold calling these different companies. And uh, year one, I'm like, oh, my goodness. 
you know, what am I, what am I going to do here? You know, how am I doing? What am I supposed to do? And, and I was like, okay, let me, I had read Future, Future Grace by John Piper. And it taught me the principle that be faithful today and trust God for tomorrow. Be faithful today and trust God for? Be faithful today and trust God for? And so I said, okay, well, let me just be faithful today. I'm just going to make phone calls. After one year, I get my first order. I'm like, awesome. And uh, it was a, a, a Packer Bear. I mean, come on, Wisconsin, right? So are you Wisconsin? No, Michigan. Wisconsin. Come on, a Packer Bear. So the newspaper, they did, anyhow. So uh, year two, I'm like starting to figure this thing out. I go to Asia, and I learn what in the world's going on. Year three, I start getting an order a week. Now, this is of custom stuffed animals. And the Lord's just teaching me, like, be faithful today and trust God for tomorrow. And so I start going after it, and literally I'm getting an order a week. And I'm starting to monitor this thing, like, am I really getting an order a week? And, uh, you know, so then, you know, sure enough, an order. The next week, another order. The next week, another order. I'm like, what is going on? And uh, then I come one week, and it's Friday. I haven't gotten an order. And lo and behold, there comes a reorder right at the end of the day. I'm like, I cannot believe it. So my, my boss started thinking I had, you know, I, I was like the lucky charm of the organization, you know, and, and he started, everybody started recognizing the blessing that God was, was having. And so this is all while in seminary. Well, then there's a particular comp- company so that, that wanted a duck. So I'm like, okay, well, I just happened to go to Asia, and my kids were all small at that time, so when I went to Asia, I'd always bring cool stuffed animals home. And I went and saw one cute little duck, and I had on my shelf, and I said, you know what? Let me send it off to you. Now, they always use this other company, but for some reason, this other company hadn't provided what they asked when they wanted it, and they asked us for this duck, and I happened to have it, so I aired, aired it over to them the next day. Well, they're like, well, this company's working for us, so... You know, let's, and they love this duck. And they said, can we get a bandana on this duck? I said, no problem, we'll get the bandana because they said we want 2,000 pieces, but we need them immediately. So I worked a few miracles over in Asia and got 2,000 pieces to them, uh, which is a small order. Well, they turned around and said, I need 50,000 pieces. I said, what? And they, we want them airdropped, aired in. Uh, I said, well, boat is a lot more. Ah, don't worry about it, you just do what we ask. I'm like, okay, we'll make that happen. Well, little did I know is that they turned around and they started this commercial called Aflac. And, uh, and I'm listening, I'm watching this commercial, seeing them, Ben says Aflac, and I'm like, hey, wait a second here. Give me that dat chip that says Aflac, Aflac, Aflac. You know, anybody know that one? And I'll put it into the duck. So I go, I take the dat chip, I put it in the duck. They say, Shannon, we want another 50,000 pieces. And uh, I don't know if they ordered like, they may have ordered like, 200,000. I have no, it was like something crazy. They ordered 50,000 ducks a month for the next four years I was working there. And, uh, and I mean, it was just amazing. Just like all of a sudden, out of nowhere, God's blessing this toy business. I started working with Hallmark Canada. Instead of them using their Hong Kong office, they would come to me to do their, their toys. And they started saying, hey, can you do this? Can I do that? Can, can you do that? I'm like, you give me an order and I'll make it happen. 
And uh, so I'm like, Lord, why are you blessing this toy job? I'm in seminary. So literally, I'm going to class in the morning, then coming back to work, and then I go to class, and then I'm coming back to work, and I'm like, this is crazy. And then I'm flying to Asia, and I'm flying here, flying there, and, and uh, you know, the Lord just keeps blessing this thing. Well, I knew that the Lord didn't call me to sell toys, that the Lord had called me to, to I was burdened for people. And so... God had kind of worked in my heart where I had a desire for Uganda, and, and he had just shown me the need that was there. So I said, okay, let me plan a trip to go back to Uganda. At this time, we had a child, and we had another child that we were kind of like, well, should we go to Uganda or not? And, and we ended up going having a, a uh, my wife ended up get pregnant, so I just go on my own in 2002. And so I fly over there, and when I get there, I realized once again, there is a country filled with churches who are not trained and uh, who long to be, have God's word. They're like moldable clay, but there's no one there to train them. And so I was asked at that point to go over and to, um, to work training the pastors in the Anglican church. And uh, so I was at Grace Community Church at the time, and they were asking me to go train pastors. So try and get out of Grace Community Church to go train Anglican pastors. We did it, you know, but uh, it was funny. It was an interesting gig. I didn't know anything about Anglicanism, but we certainly learned. So we went over there initially uh, to, to work to train pastors in the Anglican church. And my heart was like, first of all, if they want the Bible, they want training, let's give it to them. Uh, I don't mind if I have a... a a life and a ministry of training J.C. Riles. You know, I, I think that's all right, right? And, uh, and so uh, we literally left in 2006 to go do that after we had, uh, but before that, I had started SOS Ministries so that I can give because I realized, well, wait a second here. If God has blessed this toy job for the purposes of giving, so I, I began to think that God, dressed, uh, that God blessed the toy job so that I can give to Uganda, and so that's why I started SOS, and I just started giving, giving, giving to Uganda. And then the more I gave to Uganda, I'm like, this is fun. I, lo- I love business. You know, and, the more, and I, you know, I'd get an order from Hallmark, and I'd say, well, you know, can you do it? I said, well, send the order over today. I'll, I'll make it happen. I'd call my wife and say, honey, tonight I'm going to go to Asia. I'll be gone for probably about a week, you know. But we were all in because we realized the more money we can make, the more money we can give, and this is missions. And, uh, and so it became, like, exciting to make money and to give it over for kingdom purposes. We took that money, we, we began to buy stuff in Uganda land and so that a ministry can then take place. Well, we move over in 2006, and little did we know we had partnered with a guy that was corrupt. And he had put everything that we had bought all into an organization with his name on it and, uh, and then basically gave us a hard time until... Uh, you know, while living there. Basically tried to make life so miserable for us that we would just pick up and go home. But, you know, we looked at it like, wait a second here, the God of Joseph is my God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac is my God. And if we are faithful and trust God for, that God will bless this thing. And that was the very thing that we did. We just said, let's be faithful today, trust God for tomorrow. And I would lit there, lit lived there with this guy that was being unkind to us and my family. And we said, well, wait a second. Well, what does the Bible have to say? What are we to do? Well, we are to love our enemy and what? 
pray for him. So that's what we began to do. And, and he would do things like shut off our water. I'd be like, ah, you know, and I'd, get, I'd yell at him and, you know, why are you doing that? And then I'd be like, oh, man, I just sinned. I just dishonored the Lord. And, uh, and I would go and, and I'd then write an apology letter to him. He had someone die in, in his ministry and, you know, we thought, okay, well, what can we do to love and to, to help? And the beauty of that was that we never grew bitter. We never grew angry. He was becoming more and more bitter, more and more angry, and we were free from it all because we were just walking in obedience to the Lord. And we just sat there and waited, and I, the archbishop of the country began to advise me. I had met up with another friend who uh, started saying, Shannon, why don't you come do some work with the Baptist Union? So I started doing work with the Anglican Church and the Baptist Union to see what God was doing. After establishing my own organization in Uganda, we then uh, said, hey, let's move from here, establish our own ministry, and, uh, and, and let's do it in a real African place where there's real needs, real problems, uh, real issues of Africa. So we moved in an extremely rural village called Kubamitwe. Everybody say Kubamitwe. Kubamitwe. And uh, it literally means hit the head. Uh, they, the Buganda king in this kingdom, there's seven places called Kubamitwe. Each of them are where they do executions. And, uh, and so someone was a bad citizen or something that did crime, so they would take them to Kubamitwe, and they would be executed. So with that, you know, it was really cheap land. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we, we didn't know why it was so cheap, but... Uh, you know, later on we realized, okay, this is Kubamitwe, and our village was known with all of its corruption, all of its uh, uh, promiscuity. You know, literally, you know, to describe Africa, it's it's like the word Gentile. If you go to the word Gentile, you want to know your history. Go to the word Gentile in your Bible. Just do a word search on Gentile and see all that the Bible has to say about who, what our history was. But it mainly is described by the fact that we did what was right in our own eyes, that we we're given over to the lusts and the passions of our flesh. And, and literally, that's what has taken place in the Ugandan country. Now, America, we don't, we, because of the strong Christian influence in our country, embedded in our constitution, America has grown up with Christian value. We're soon losing that because of our televisions and then the desire to switch that over in our constitution. But historically, we know that marriage is a husband between a man and a for, for life. And we realize to not do it that way is to have an adulterous relationship or to have sexual immorality. And we realize that this is truth and this is a lie. We realize justice and uh, regardless of what says, we live in an extremely just society where our courts actually uphold law, where our policemen actually give you a ticket for things that are wrong. And uh, you go to the other side of the world and you realize that everybody's doing what's right in their own, in their own eyes. Everyone's given over to the lust and passions. Nobody's getting married. So in my little village of Kubamitwe, nobody's married. And so with that, literally zero people are married. And so literally what happens in Uganda, if I go and I take a girl from some family because I meet her in a bar and I sleep with her, well, I've stolen that girl from that family. 
And all of a sudden, you know, she gets pregnant. Well, her family chases her because that's what you would do in a flesh response way. So they chase her from the house. He goes and stays with this guy. They pretend they don't know. They they don't even, uh, like, they're ousted from the family. Well, he never marries her. He just takes her and the child. And according to, you know, man-eat-man world, that child belongs to the man because he's the the man. Come on. And, uh, and with that, she's there to produce babies. She's there to do the laundry. She's there to make the meals. But we have no relationship. We haven't even established a friendship. We just met in the bar. And, uh, and with that, that doesn't stop me from hanging out in the bar. You know, you go home and you do that, and I'm going to go meet other girls. And then get them pregnant. I can have two wives. Why not? I'm the, I'm the man. And so, uh, you know, with that, you know, if, if she doesn't like it, you just beat her. You don't love her if you don't beat her. In some parts of Uganda, that's their mentality. And so with that, there isn't this marriage for life. And so now with that, the whose kids are they? Whose property is it? So she's living in his property, but what happens at any moment she can be thrown out. And, uh, and when you're thrown out, what do you do with the kids? So it belongs to the man. You know, if she ends up taking the kids, she goes someplace, and that new man doesn't want her baggage. We all know the story of Cinderella, right? I mean, that's just common life in Africa. You know, so the step mom doesn't like the kids. She becomes slave labor and shows all the attention to her biological children. And so that's what goes on in Africa. That's the way of life there in that country. And the man comes home. He eats alone. And he comes home, usually he's drunk and, and, or just hanging out gambling. And so he comes home and all the children run. That was the typical scenario in our village. And there's just drunkards. Every night everybody's drunk, everybody's partying. There's no ambition to work because what are you working for? You're working for yourself. And I can do whatever I want with my money. And there's no loyalty. So kids are, are forced to then go and eat mangoes from trees or jackfruit. Anybody know what jackfruit is? like a cool fruit. So it's like this big, it's thorny. In heaven, it won't have any thorns. <laughs> but uh, nor will it be sticky, right? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so that's the common scenario in the Ugandan context. So this is the village in which we moved into. And uh, we have two missions in Uganda. First mission is to reach that community right there for Christ. To reach that community for Christ. And, and secondly, our second mission is to strengthen churches all throughout Uganda. So I work with the Baptist Union of Uganda. Back right when I moved over to Uganda, I started working with all these different churches and started doing conferences, leadership trainings, and I uh, started doing strategic planning, church visitation with the leadership. And I built a strong, by God's grace, a strong relationship with the leadership of the Baptist Union. And the Lord just began to bless that. The Anglican thing began to slow, slowly fade away because they were more interested in physical development than spiritual development. So I realized, okay, this is what God's in. So we continued to do those conferences, leadership trainings, all of that for the Baptist Union, which is 1,500 churches. Literally, they didn't even have the churches organized with phone numbers and pastors and all of that. And so we went, we'd go around to the whole area every year, and we would just make sure that our database was, was up to date. 
And uh, <clears throat> today, I have a, such a strong relationship that I meet ongoingly with the President and General Secretary to strategize how we can impact the Baptist Union and build it and strengthen it. From all, from all of that, they began, we, they, they began to say, Shannon, we, please train us. Please train us. So we put together a pastoral training center. And uh, we said, what can we do to truly impact this country for Christ? It has to be training these pastors fully. And so we put together a, what they call a certificate program and a degree program that is accredited by the country. Just like going to the master's university, if you come to our school, which is far cheaper, uh, you can uh, also get a degree that would be recognized even around the world. And so we put together a, certi a certificate program, which basically helps somebody understand the gospel and Christian living. We want everyone to, re this health, wealth, prosperity gospel, we want to flush it down the toilet. A man-centered gospel, we want to get rid of that, and we give them this understanding of a God-centered, God-worldview gospel, and uh, that God is the giver of salvation. And uh, with that, we begin to give them this understanding of Christian living. We want them all to have a pilgrim's progress worldview. We are on our way to the celestial city, Right, And we, when we, we go on God's path, and we don't go to the right, we don't go to the left, we stay right on God's path for our good and his glory. And uh, that's the worldview we try and give all of these pastors. Literally, we're seeing these pastors get saved. Many of them aren't married biblically. Many of them live just like the people. And so we realize that, you know what, we need to do a degree program the first year that we train them, if they make it through it, we then invite them into our degree program, but they come with their families. Because with that, if we're going to impact Uganda, we're going to impact what they see. The pastor has to model Christianity. And so nobody can come to our degree program unless they've been married biblically. And, uh, and so with that, that's kind of how we set it up. And then we begin to give them a Bible education, expository preaching. We begin to train them to what it is to be a pastor and theology and then biblical counseling so that they get fully equipped and then we're ready to church plant them out there. So what we have the Bacells doing is they're going to come and be a professor. Professor, I don't know what that was. But uh, professor. And, uh, and they're going to come and as well help us in our local church. And... Uh, this, the, that was, so the, the strengthening churches are done with, those, with our, our conference ministry and through our, our, our uh, pastoral training college. The, the, the second mission of reaching our community, we put together a primary school. So our primary school, literally you can sponsor a child through our primary school, primary and secondary school, and that's where we're basically taking the kids. So we have 600 kids from our community all coming to our school. So we're able to disciple these kids from the time they're very young up to understand the gospel. And, uh, and you know, God has, has blessed it. And not only that, but in Uganda, the official language is English. So all of these kids are learning English from the time they're young, which gives them opportunity everywhere in the country. And, uh, and so we have that. We also have a medical center. You see, in, in Africa... You know, so what we want to do in our primary school is help these kids know, have a Christian worldview, Christian values embedded in their hearts. This is lying, you know, so that their consciences are informed, which provide a preserving agent in their lives. And by God's grace, too, they come to saving faith and are born again. Uh, the other big need, we realize the two biggest needs are education and health. 
So we put, to, you know, for instance, if you're nine months pregnant, ready to have a baby, what do you do? You don't have cash, nor do you have transportation. You start walking. Yeah. Uh, that's the way to have a baby along the way, right? So a lot of these, so we, they would run to us, and we would drive them to a hospital, help underwrite the costs of, of having that baby in those means. Or you're sick with malaria and, and, uh, and going to die, you know, we pick them up and we bring them to a hospital to try and save their lives. And sometimes you have babies in cars and things like that, but that's all part of the, the gig. But we realized that, hey, let's put a medical center right there at SOS, and so that's what we've done. We have an SOS medical center right there to care for our people. We have 70 patients that come a day uh, to that medical center. The third thing we do to reach our community is we, reach, we have a community outreach department. We do activities in our community just to love on them, to care for them. A hundred ways to love and care and create relationship with our community. And uh, so they carry out those programs. The, the fourth area that we use to reach our community for Christ is um, reaching out to the disabled. We work with Johnny and Friends, and, uh, and we help provide mobility devices throughout. We provide mobility devices all throughout you, Luero District. And I'm telling you, there's nothing sweeter than to see a bunch of people who've been, you know, they bring a kid in that's 18 years old, extremely heavy with cerebral palsy, and you get them a wheelchair and uh, watch them roll away. We realize in our village that you can give them a wheelchair, but they can't get in and out of their house. So then we go to the next step, and we build ramps for them and help redo their homes so that these kids can get in and out and help them see that this kid isn't a curse. This kid is actually a blessing. And so we help educate the community regarding disability. And so all of those ministries have allowed us to then have a local church. So today, in our little village, uh, we have 500 people coming to church and worshiping the Lord each Sunday morning. And, uh, and so <clears throat> God has just extremely blessed it. And, uh, and literally, you know, if you come to my church, we've got tents going out here, and, and uh, you know, people are, are everywhere. And that's why this last year we decided, hey, before this pastoral, so we're getting ready to do our degree program. We've done the certificate with Shepherd's Training College. We're getting ready to do the degree program. And uh, with that, families are going to come. So we realize that, okay, if we have 100 families on campus and they have five kids, you know, that's probably 700 kids, uh, 700 people. So that in a church of 500 already, you know, that's an issue. So we decided let's build a new church. And so uh, you guys, as a congregation, gave extremely generously last year to the building of our church, and, uh, and let me clap for you for that. <laughs> so we praise the Lord for that, and, and it's going up. We have the whole foundation. We're now waiting for the metal work to go up, and so this is what we're doing in Uganda, and this is what God is doing to bless our ministry over there, and listen, God's at work in Africa. I really believe that uh, the last page of church history is going to be written from Africa. And there is a hunger for truth. There is a love for the Lord and a zeal ready to do anything to serve the Lord. There's not an obsession with worldly things. And God is just at work in an awesome way. I think God wants, you know, African-American people in heaven because they want dancing in heaven, you know. So, uh, you know, so that's what we, we really believe God's at work in, in, in crazy ways. And so that's why it's a joy. It's a joy to be part of what God is already in. So I've been limited by my time, and I even went over a few minutes. But uh, um, I guess no time for Q&A, right? Okay, fail. come on, yeah, African style. 
Uh, let me let me uh, let me take a few questions here. Yes, ma'am. 